It's FAQ NYC Offcycle, where the New Yorkist podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Katie Onan. Maybe you've seen the bright and fun signs at some of your favorite and hip restaurants, places like Makosa Trattoria in Bed-Stuy, or the Club Night Moves, or Regina's Grocery. The signs and designs are the work of the Savayos brothers, who for years have been making ads and signs for businesses all around New York City, in Times Square, and particularly along Roosevelt Avenue in Corona and Jackson Heights. That's where I first saw the signs, and it's where our next guest, Avi Ram Cohen, first learned of the Savayos brothers, too, before taking on a role as a manager of sorts to help them expand their business. He's on with us now to talk about their work, and just so we all know, there is an art show displaying their work at St. John's University through December 9th. Uh, and I, I believe, you know, he is responsible for launching them from sort of insider queens to now an international brand. So, Aviram, thank you so much for joining us. And I guess if you want to just start, um, I guess, with your origin story of how you first came across their art and then how you came to work with them. Thank you for having me on, Katie. Um, I want to say that you actually kind of play a role in inspiring me um, to get involved uh, on that level because some of your earlier reporting in Queens was so sort of so important to finding out about what was happening on a very local level. Um, so that actually did play a role for me. So it's great to be on with you. Well, well um, thank you. I didn't realize that. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I'm humbled by that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I grew up in New Jersey and um, my parents uh, moved to America from Israel. I'm the first generation uh, American. And um, one of the things growing up was like, uh, you know, my dad's, uh, English language proficiency was sort of limited, but because we're um, of Sephardic Jewish origin, he grew up speaking Ladino, and that ability for him to speak Spanish allowed him to sort of integrate and find like jobs throughout New York um, more easily than in the English language, um, you know, speaking communities. Uh, so growing up, I would always come into New York, go to work with him. We would be allowed around a lot of places like that. So when I talked to him about this project later, he knew all about Roosevelt Avenue because he had worked up and down areas like that and different places like Harlem, Bed-Stuy, you know. But um, so, you know, I also have that sort of nostalgic or whatever connection to a, a New York of the 80s, 90s. Um, that I think a lot of people uh, relate back, th this work back to. Um, but my wife and I moved to Jackson Heights uh, at the end of 2014. And at the time, there was a lot of this like uh, no IDC um, campaign happening. And Jackson Heights just has this like very active community. And so, um, you know, when I'd go out and explore the neighborhood, walk around, walk out like all through Corona and everything, you know, just to check stuff out, these signs jumped out at me and um, I was always so curious about it. Uh, it wasn't until the towards the end of the following year in 2015 when my wife started her own business here in Jackson Heights, uh, which is a yoga studio called Second Story Movement. Um, she said to me, 
I need some signs made. And I was like, oh, we should hire these people that are doing this. And I had no idea who they were. So we spent an afternoon going from place to place, tracking down who made these until, you know, and it's a little bit of a challenge um, because not everyone speaks uh, English. Our Spanish is also quite limited. Um, You're, you know, not everyone has, is like a manager when you walk in, so they don't know who's hiring the sign people. But anyways, we went to a bunch of places until finally we could um, figure it out. And I was told, um, don't call them early because they sleep very late. They work very late. And I said, okay. Um, so I called them one evening around a seven o'clock and nobody answered. I left a message. And that night we happened to be going to a, um, like a little performance at my wife's studio down the street. And uh, I was there in the middle of it. And suddenly around 9.30 PM, uh, someone, my phone starts ringing and it's like, I ignore it because it's in the middle of a performance. Then it, they ring again and again. And so I just stepped down to the hall, took the call, and it was this guy with a raspy voice. And I'm like, he's like, hey, we could come to see the poster now, you know? And then I was sort of like, oh, maybe tomorrow is good. Tomorrow? And they're like, no, we can come now. Now is good. <laughs> and they were very, like, insistent on coming now. And it was almost 10 o'clock at that point. Um, but then I was just sort of like, sure, fine, come now. Um, and a few minutes later, these two brothers in their suits um, ascended the staircase up to the studio. And we were just incredibly charmed by them as, you know, everyone else was. And they were just fun. And, you know, we were laughing and chatting. And I was super intrigued by them. We had them make a few signs. And then a week or so later, they came back with the signs. We met again. And I think that like, we met a few times, but I was just totally like, who are they? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And basically, I, I discovered they had this routine where they were like, um, go, come in. they actually lived in Manhattan, and they would come in late at night, but they'd work around Roosevelt Avenue anywhere. You know, they had these longstanding relationships with bar owners, restaurant owners, anyone who would really let them kind of work. And um, one of the things like there was this place to eat on Roosevelt Avenue and that was part of their routine. So I drop in on them and I just kind of like hang out with them. And initially, you know, I just thought after meeting them, wow, they're so like, you know, they're quite elderly. And in that regard, this is only happening in such a small area. It could all disappear without really many that many people knowing, except for the people who live immediately around it that probably notice it also. So initially, the account was just started as a way to preserve um, the artwork. It wasn't really meant to be like this thing. You know, I didn't really I just wanted it to be like a public archive. Whoever mm-hmm. wanted to interact with it could. Um But then when the pandemic struck, it closed a lot of those shops, as we all know, and you know as well, living around Queens, this was one of the most, this area became like the avatar of the pandemic uh, with, you know, what was happening at Elmhurst Hospital. And, you know, a lot of those places uh, that they did business with were greatly affected. And, um, you know, since I had already established this thing, uh, I pivoted uh, to try to 
figure out how to help them, you know, find, you know, like financially. Um, and that sort of, it grew very organically from there. Uh, initially we just kind of did these prints and then as things opened up, people were inquiring about commissions and then it was just sort of like, yeah, folded into what it is today. And I should note, <clears throat> I did ask, obviously, to speak with Carlos and Miguel, but as you know, they're sort of media shy, which I actually think adds to their lore of like, even in the Eater article and the New Yorker piece, it was sort of like the, it took months to even meet with them, which I, I just, I I think that, I find that, you know, some people, when they don't want to talk to me, I'm, I'm mad about it, but I'm like, you know, and I, and I, I think I'm also fascinated, just like, you know, your involvement with them. Um, so as you mentioned the pandemic and and these businesses closing down and, you know, just that experience, which we don't need to recap for our listeners, but what was it like, you know, introducing them to a, a larger audience? I don't know, you know, if you explain to them like, look, we're going to take commissions. And then especially, I know in a lot of the photos, they always were masked up. I don't know what kind of precautions you took as well. We all took on extra steps to protect ourselves during the pandemic. But if you want to go through, you know, what it was like as their audience grew, as in some ways we all had to kind of shrink our world for protection. Yeah. So that was like pretty funny. I was very aware of that and, and like concerned for them. So what, what we would, my wife and I would do is like, I was meeting, I did the print sale initially and then I don't want them going to like any check cashing place or something. So it had to be like, you know, cash. And then I would, my, we would ride our bikes over the bridge to avoid the subway and then we would meet with them and then check on them, do some food shopping for them. So keep them out of the stores, you yeah. know? And then, um, but then one day I was sort of like, there was just like enough people started asking about like, Oh, can we have a poster made? And I was like, thinking that maybe this is an opportunity for them to retire or something. But like, that's not how, um, you know, people who move to America, they don't come here to retire, you know, (laughs) they they come here to work. And that's a huge part of it. And people are, they were like, no, we want to work. They were like, please, you know. And so I was like, okay. So then I just started, you know, taking in jobs and um, riding my bike over and, you know, it just sort of continued from there. That was sort of our process. And, uh, we've met once a week, every week since like 2020, basically for, you know, with the exception of a few weeks, um, here and there, but that's kind of our routine. We meet up, we go over jobs and, um, now, now it's a little more easy. They do, you know, they're back to like kind of doing their own food shopping and stuff like that. But What is it like on a, you know, day to day working with them on these projects? Um, it's been incredible to sort of see, like, there's a lot of obviously stuff as you just like any relationship, you get to know somebody, but relating back to their artwork is just like, as these jobs grew, like seeing what they're capable of, it was like literally nothing they cannot uh, do. It was like, if you use their sort of visual like vernacular and their like vocabulary in like, okay, this is this, this is what we're going to do. You can literally, I, I found that I can literally accommodate any, any commission from like some like punk show or like a record label to like, you know, something that's more like, 
a very a highly specialized cocktail bar or something. You know what I mean? So it was really like, oh, just they can almost do it all. And what I realized is when I would tell them early on, like how great I thought their artwork was, they kind of didn't want to hear it. They they like a little bit diminished what they do because they just see it as this like purely commercial thing. It's not, they have a more conservative idea about what art is. Um, and so I, what I realized part of that is that they were in this cycle of doing the same holidays, the same events um, year after year, and it didn't change much. They're going to do, you know, Mexican, Colombia, Ecuadorian Independence Day. They're going to do Christmas, Halloween, Valentine's Day. It's like, it's just every year is on the same cycle and they're not. But then what's happened is they love doing this job now because every week is different. There's a huge, just, they don't know what's coming up. And they just, I think that they're just really into the creativity and what it allows them to do. So it's been really fun to see their attitude towards it change and just see them get more excited about the jobs and, and you know. And I did want to ask, you know, and, and this came up in, in that Eater article and um, that there is a sort of bittersweetness about their different success now, you know, because they were commercial artists, um, you know, they born in Ecuador, grew up in Colombia and then came here at different points. Their older brother, Victor, came here in the 60s, just for a little background. Um, now their former clientele, mostly immigrant and working class businesses, maybe some of them are closing their shifts and changes. That kind of gets me thinking of, you know, a neighborhood like Jackson Heights, how there's always a little bit of, there's tension, there's there's just a lot of mixture between new people, older people changing and that kind of thing. Um, I, so I am curious how much of their business, I mean, how many of their older clients are are they still working with? And, um, you know, if they even kind of reflect on just those changes in, in their different customers. Yeah, I think that one of the weird things that always a little bit is weird, funny to me about Jackson Heights is how people just love to tout like the cultural diversity. But like you said, uh, there's there's there is a tension in that. Yeah. Um, it's but it's also not just culturally diverse. Um, it's very economically diverse, mm. and and that also creates tension because um, there's just like the spectrum of income here is like pretty broad actually. And, um, and uh, in terms of how they work with their client and the loss of that, they are um, kind of loyal to some of some clients that they have like a history with um, that were close with their older brother, Victor. So they do still work for a handful of people because they just, you know, really owe it to them. Uh, or they just feel connected to them and yeah. and and um and I and they kind of relate that back to like their brother. It's like they're honoring their brother and his relationships. What I learned from going into these businesses too is just that some of the people that own the businesses, they sort of just that's what they do. That's their job is they are restaurant and bar owners. So they just open up different bars. And that's why some of the work has been continuous because it's like, this guy's opening up a new bar and he and we always made his signs and we're going to make the signs for the new place. Um, 
So it just gave me a little bit more of a window into how some of the businesses around the neighborhood like work too, you know, like, oh, it's actually like one guy owns like five of the, the, these five places that they, they're not different, completely different places that they're making posters for. The one point I wanted to make, bring up, and, you know, it is interesting when you do mention Jackson Heights, which, you know, I covered for four and a half years and I knew really well, I would get really mad and no one meant anything negative by it, but when they'd say, oh, you cover Jackson Heights, the food, oh my God, the food is so good. Yeah. And I always wanted to be like, well, yeah, it's actually a complex neighborhood with other issues and concerns. And it's not just a place for you to, you know, jump in and eat inexpensive food and then go back home. You know, I kind of always, it's it's why I have a very, very niche um, issue with when people use the word trek. Usually yeah. about Queens. I'll oh, make the, tr- it's worth the trek out to, que- so that's, these are very small. No one ever meant anything because the food is excellent and the best food is in Queens, particularly around Jackson Heights, Crone and Elmhurst. But yeah, it, it always would bother me of, you know, we're not just a playground for you to come and eat inexpensive food that you can't find elsewhere and then go home and not, then not think about the other, you know, the economic challenges, the housing challenges, the, the lack of park space, the overcrowded schools, the, the transportation issues, all those kind of things that I also covered. But, and then, you know, the yeah. political, you know, I think it for a while there, especially during the IDC, not that I want to think back to being in the Jackson Heights Jewish Center for all the drama, but it's a big political epicenter too, but yeah, uh, the politicians, it has a, like some of the highest like voting turnouts. Yeah. So politicians always, um, even in presidential elections, they make stops here, um, because the voter turnout is, uh, consistent and it's high. Um, but that's like one of the things, you know, that I learned over the process of this, because, you know, but when I started the Instagram account is more just like, I never actually had a social media account before. <laughs> I've never had a personal social media account. I just thought the platform really lent itself to this like image sharing thing. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, okay, I want to do this. Cause I, I think I want to share this work with people. Um, but I had this friend that I kind of, you know, worked with and, uh, I think he would have gotten it. I'm like, what do you think of these? They're cool, right? You know, like showing him some of the photos and stuff that I took. And he actually convinced me, like, you have to go back to those places and and collect those before someone, they throw them away. Mm. And so that process, that was, I would say, kind of awkward for me, you know, because I'm of limited uh, Spanish language capability. And you know, so I would go all around Corona and the day after and see what I could find, go into these bars that are pretty, you know, they're not like family restaurants always. Yeah, some uh, of them, that, those are the first signs I saw, like the the dance, the pay for a dance type advertisements. <laughs> right. Things like that. And but you know what? I found that like the people there were like totally nice. And after a while, it was like not this impression you have like. I mean, for years, like a lot of the politicians like attacked Roosevelt Avenue. They're like, oh, there's like, we got to clean it up, you know, yeah. and all this stuff. And that makes a really great, um, like political talking point. But then I started to understand just by going in, like, I mean, not to get off topic, but like your coverage through the I no IDC thing. It was just like, there was this thing of just like people really cared about this neighborhood. They want to get involved. But that actually does play into it because, you know, with a lot of like activism and stuff is just there is this question of how you really impact someone's life the way on their terms. You know, if you want to people want to help people, 
but it's always there's always these class and educational um, sort of discrepancies. And if you really want to help someone, you have to take cues from them. It's not really about what you think is good for them. So like some of these bars are managed by like older women that manage all these younger women. And it actually is almost like can be seen as like a feminist sort of like a strong feminist expression. It's not like this exploitive thing necessarily. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it there was more nuance and there's it's more dynamic than what um one may express and i was learning all about that through collect going back and collecting their work and yeah so i i built up my own archive uh without also a plan for it um but that's basically the bulk of what the show that's up at yay art gallery now is um it's uh, posters that I collected with ephemera that from the brothers, different like photos of theirs and um, flyers from art shows and stuff that they've been involved with um, going back through the eighties and nineties. And how many pieces, you know, did you end up acquiring? And then I guess if you want to speak briefly just about how that art show at the, at the Yay gallery did come to be. Um. I guess I'm not sure. I never did like a piece count, which is funny because I probably should. I don't know. I I, I work in um, like the arts. And so I'm like very aware of a lot of archival practices and stuff. But it's hard, um, you know, when you just have your own stuff and it's like backed up uh, in your home. But um, the show came about just through an inquiry. and. Um, you know, I we met. I met with the curator Max Warsh a few times. Uh, I invited him over immediately just to be like, I have this archive of their posters. If you want to come look at it, that's probably what the show could be. Um, and he came over a couple days later, and we met another time. Um, and then we started meeting with the brothers um, and discussing, you know, the direction of the show and where. You know, it kind of just one of those things, again, was very organic. It's sort of like what will be shown. Um, like, you know, you just like, what is what is the thing you want to focus on? And they're actually just so incredible. They saved everything. Their, wow. their whole record of their um, life is intact. They have so many photos flyers and and different like they have documented it all and it's like once they start showing you this it's like mind-blowing like there's so much material um and uh but it's just deeply personal to them so like later when it came to loan stuff uh we had a little bit of a challenge on like how much or what we could borrow for the show so you know there was um some funny things that happen around that but you know you have to just respect that there is an emotional connection to a lot of this uh but um it's amazing that uh that they have it all because um it just it really beyond their aesthetic and their style it's like really fills out their like their life and for the record, you know, for whatever posterity is. Do you have a favorite piece? Um, one of 
I always love the Halloween and the Valentine stuff that they yeah. do. But my favorite thing is the Mets poster. And oh, it's yeah. the Mets poster because I think it's just so symbolic of it's like for years they have toiled away outside the stadium. Yeah. And then it's like they're being invited in. If there's a just a big I mean, this is major league sports in America. This is baseball. Like that's like transcending like any that's about as much as you anyone could transcend, you know, is to do a job for the Mets in Queens as Queens related artists. Like that was like incredible. And just the symbolism of them coming off of Roosevelt into the stadium was just like amazing. Um, but it was a hilarious thing because they approach everything with the, just a very casual attitude. They're just sort of like, okay, sure, we'll do this. We'll go to the stadium. We'll, you know, be in the New Yorker. <laughs> like they're sort of disconnected from a lot of it. Uh, they don't always have a lot of um, just the way they live is very insular. So they don't have a lot of reference points for like how big what they're doing is, you know. I think that's refreshing. You know, they're incredibly talented artists. I oh, I mean, as you know, I've I guess I have I bought four pieces, custom pieces. One for this podcast, FAQ's uh, logo is uh, Savios Brothers print. But they're just doing the work, right? And that's that's part of it, I think. And so much of I don't know if it's an if it's a generational thing or or whatever it is, but they're just doing the work, and that's the most important thing. They're not thinking of um, you know the hype around it, of which I think there's lots of hype. Um, so, you know, when you, um, and this will be a final question and anything else you do want to add, um, you know, I know you said that they want to work forever. There's really no intent for them to retire, but do you have any plans to grow it even further? Do they have any suggestions of of what they might want to do? Or, or is there like a dream or a goal that they've always wanted to accomplish? I don't think so. We just operate in a very small, uh, I mean, we've sort of just created our own little circle between the three of us. Um, you know, they depend on me just for the more like administrative type of stuff. And, you know, I just try to provide as little direction as I can, but enough to translate the concept, you know, just to allow them not to influence what they do too much. Um, that's that's why I work well with them in a way. That's why they've that's why the trust had been built up, because it was just like you brought up the interview, uh, the big thing with the interviews with them, and they were very media shy, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. Um, they didn't want to do it at all. You know, <laughs> they didn't get that people are like increasingly interested in who they are and their work, but they wanted me to, they were like, why can't you do it? Can't you do it for us? And I was like, okay. So I always, there were inquiries and I pitched that idea to people like, they don't do interviews, but I can help you craft a profile about them. I'll give you the info. I'll give you pictures. And a lot of people like rejected that. They didn't want to do it that way, which is fine. Eater and Emma Arlo was the first person to accept yeah. those terms. And she was like, okay, fine. And then she went on and I didn't realize it until the article came out, but she really just made her own thing by going to people and asking them like how it worked and stuff. So that was fine. And then the same thing happened with the New Yorker because when we were, when they approached the writer, Henry approached us, um, 
I could understand that he's more of this humorist that kind of just goes on this thing. And it's it's not really so much of an interview where he mm-hmm. sits them down. He's just sort of going to write about the experience. So it, it worked well for how they want to do things. So I didn't even need to, you know, he just kind of like hung out around us when we met up um, one day and we ended up going to a diner and it did end up being like more of an interview. Um, but by then they were fine because, they're, you know, but it's all just like whatever comes down will, you know, the way we'll address it. Um, it's hard to, uh, you know, I don't know. I it's it's an incredible. It's been incredible. I would never have imagined that it has gone as far as it has. I don't even know like how much further. Like they've had every opportunity that like you could wish for in a way. So I feel like um, it's been very exciting. I appreciate it. We just all kind of the three of us sort of take it day by day, and um, you know. We need we it's just been great that people have been so responsive. It needs to be said that it could not had happen if people did not engage with it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I'm personally just very grateful that that people continue to commission posters, hire them, and it it's just it's it's like it's made my life easier because um I'm concerned about um them and their well-being and it assists in all of that so uh it's you know it's been great and it's been very exciting to see what what the next thing is you know and that is actually a good plug how can someone commission a poster i know you also do sales you've there's been merch there's been a collaboration with only new york there've been all these sort of artistic collaborations but how can someone commission a poster or even just buy anything else that's for sale you know there's a calendar that i get every year so so let everyone know how they can do that it's easiest just to send a message um through instagram Mm -hmm. um not in email because email can it just gets to be too many varied streams of communication for for one person um and you know we can't do it all i i try to help people but it's best if you just have your idea together and like, you know, pitch it. And if it's, if it's something we can do at the time, it just depends on what's going on and what they're up to. And, you know, they can only make uh, about four posters a week. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there gets to be a small backlog, um, but we try to clear it out and continue to move forward. Um, so in that regard, sometimes you can't just make every pet portrait or, um, you know, fun idea that's a kind of a thing between you and your friends. Um, but, you know, it just really depends on what's going on at the time. Yeah, I found it to be only a couple of weeks. I think when I put my I don't I don't know what time of year, maybe. Yeah. One was maybe 2020. One was two. Or 20, so it takes a couple of weeks, but it was and then you have a custom print and it's fantastic. Custom painting. They're not prints. But I know. Sorry. What? I keep using the word print, but they're paintings. Uh, and I also like the artistic freedom. I have one for a dinner club that I do. And they put a bottle of Vosop in there, which I don't think I've ever drank. But I said, that's fancier than the bottle of wine I suggested. So I'll, I'm for it. <laughs> yeah. Just random things like that. It's like they don't drink either. So I don't know where they came up with <laughs> they that. They probably but... saw it in a window or something. Yeah. Um, well, great. Avi Ram Cohen, who works with the Ceballos brothers, Carlos and Miguel.
help launch them, uh, you know, to, again, international. They've, they've done international orders. So I've seen a lot of these kind of orders, but you can follow them on Instagram. Uh, our FAQ logo and our beautiful posters is from them. So we appreciate you coming on and talking about your process and the media shy, but very, you know, mysterious in a good way, brothers. So thank you. Thank you, Katie. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC Offcycle. We're part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We also receive support from PNT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side, with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. We're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. We are also affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where Chrissy Greer is one of the inaugural fellows. Our host this episode was me, Katie Honan. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you, Aviram Cohen, for joining us. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.